Good morning. My name is Pastor Bruce Polsky. I don't think I introduced myself when I, at the beginning of the service during the announcements, but I'm one of the pastors here at SEAC, and so just good again to have you with us if you're just kind of beginning to watch with us. This past week on uh, Wednesday night, Vange and I were out, and we were just coming home. As we started to drive home, we uh, looked up in the sky, and we could see the moon rising up in the sky. I don't know if you noticed the full moon this week. Just amazed and uh, kind of stood there for a moment and, and we both just were kind of wowed at that. There's lots around us that wow us. Things like, and I have some pictures here that we're going to show, so a picture of an ostrich which is pretty, pretty amazing, uh, pretty cool, or an eagle floating kind of just above the water. Look at his tail is just hanging into the water there a little bit. Or sometimes we're amazed at the smartness of crows. I'm told it's Crows are incredibly brilliant, far beyond mo most people give them credit for. Or the beauty of a flower, and I've got lots of flowers here. The first one is called a bee orchid. You would think that it actually is a bee, but this is actually a flower called the bee orchid. Or the white egret orchid. Isn't that pretty cool how it looks like a bird? Um, or the bleeding heart, which we, we are common with here in Alberta, but I thought I should put something in there that we know of in Alberta, something called the bleeding heart. There's also another one called the monkey-faced orchid. Now, this is, maybe it's a little bit distorted there, but I think you kind of get the idea behind it. In the, in the middle of the orchid, it looks like there's this monkey face that's there, which is kind of cool. Or we might be, or the, or the last one is the parrot flower. And uh, this is like, like two parrots kind of connecting. Awesome. Like, just, it's incredible how the, this, this, these, these flowers look. Or if, if you compare that to the uniqueness of a bumblebee, you know, something like a bumblebee. And technically, bumblebees aren't supposed to fly because their weight-to-body ratio and wingspan and all that kind of stuff. And if you're an engineer, some of you guys that are engineers here probably know that. But the bumblebees are, actually aren't supposed to really technically be able to fly, but they do. Or compare a bee to a lizard. And I've got two here. The first one is a dragon, um, uh, dragon, uh, dragon, I forgot the name of it, dragon, lizard or something it's called and the second one is even cooler it's a flying gecko it looks almost like a piece of bark off a tree but that's how they hide and that's how they were designed to hide on a tree and they can actually float from branch to branch and jump around that way incredibly different but you compare that all of those things to something like a whale and I think we got a sperm whale here picture of a, a they're monster animals or that to um, uh, a cheetah. Now cheetahs can go from zero to a hundred kilometers an hour in three seconds. Like that's faster than probably most of the cars that we drive or probably all of the cars we drive. Incredibly designed to run fast. Short distance but boy can they go. You don't want to be anywhere close to a cheetah when he decides to go. And, and then on top of that if you do that to a human species, right? Now, I don't have any pictures of humans, but just take a look around. There's people around you. Just do that right now. Just, just look around and look at the variety of people that are in this room, the uniqueness, the design. They might be beside you. They might be behind you. But they all are designed incredible, amazing, each different, so amazing, so balanced, each creating their own beauty. The genetic code to each is so unbelievably compact, complex and unique almost like someone with intelligent design created it rather than happening by an accident accidental explosion 
There's so much variation, so many differences, so much complexity in crossing over and creating this ecosystem that we call this our world that rely on each other almost as, as if they were created with this understanding that they relate to one another. Such amazing complexity and simplicity, simply balanced and everything at the same time, all created by some, something seemingly more intelligent than us. Now, one of the largest libraries in the world, if not the largest library in the world, is the Library of Congress in, the, in Washington, D.C. It has cataloged over 32 million books and 61 million manuscripts. So if you count on average about 100,000 words per, per manuscript or book, you would come down to the fact that that's 9.3 trillion words. Like that's, can't even fathom that, right? But if you took that, if you took the library and caused it and put a bomb in it and, and created an explosion, what do you think would come out? Do you think something like this would come out? Something that was never existed prior to that was never kept, this is, this is probably in that library, but let's just assume that it wasn't. Could you imagine this book coming out the other side after an explosion? Perfectly balanced with the, uh, the title here, as well as duplicated on the inside cover with exactly this kind of format, with a nice hard cover on the outside, all the pictures, all in alphabetical order, you know, E next to eggs and so on, you know, I mean, all that kind of stuff. Could you imagine that happening? How many explosions would need to take place in order for this book to have a chance at coming into existence? Well, I'm not sure that it probably would. I think most of us would say, eh, it's probably impossible. Um, that it's not a result of an accident, that it can't be the result of an accident. It's more likely, we, we would say this, this is the result of probably two people that actually designed it. One was the writer and the other was the illustrator. And, of course, there would be other people that would be involved in, of course, the other side of it, the coin of, of actually binding the book and, and, and getting it to us and so on. But we, 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 we know, we, we take for granted that when we look at this, this is not as a cause of a, a bomb going off in a library somewhere. Or if, if we look at the Taj Mahal, I have a picture of the Taj Mahal here. Um, we see... Um, a picture of the Taj Mahal, and we're going, we're going, wow, somebody had incredible design. Or the other one, the one of the, t the tallest building in the world, the Burj, I'm going to get this long, wrong, oh, I tried practicing and I got it wrong. But anyways, you know, it's in Dubai, right? Amazing building. We're going, that is not a cause of an accident. And no amount of explosions would ever make a building stand exactly like that. We say somebody had incredible design, somebody was incredibly creative in allowing those buildings to come into existence. And those are a result of human creation, not a result of God. And when we see the complexity of our world, we have to say it has to be a result of God. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because a lot of times people are going, well, I don't know if God exists. I don't know if God is out there. And yet if we look around, we're going... Somebody with incredible intelligence has to be around, be around us in order to create everything that we see. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, 
Paul says this, Since what, be, what may be known um, about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people without excuse. If people really want to be intelligent, nobody would say that this was a result of a bomb going off. Any more than they would say that really, at the incredible complexities and the ecosystems in which we live today, was as a result of the bomb. I mean, they're telling us now that if, hey, we have to, we have to change the way we live because what we are doing is, is causing imbalance in our, in our world. Something, somebody had to have created the imbalance, and it's us. And if we can create the imbalance, then somebody had to put the balance there in the first place. I say all of that to say this, is when we, when we, we yet so many of us struggle in really our connection with God is, okay, does God really there? Can he really be trusted? How can we know that God is there? Can I know God? Did God really create this world somehow God had to be involved in it God had to be involved in it and so oftentimes if we can get over that hurdle then the next hurdle is okay if God is there then how do I connect with him how do I connect with him do I connect with him does he want to be connected to those are, those are some of the answers that I think we have to realize that God does because the fact that he created us, he means he wants to have a relationship with us. That's just kind of almost a given. And we could go into lots of passages of Scripture that talk about that God longs for a relationship with us and God wants to have a relationship with us. But the question is, not so much does God want a relationship with us, the question is, do we want a relationship with God? How do we connect to God? What kind of energy do we put into that? Is it worth putting energy into? And there's probably no one answer to any of those questions. But let me, let me talk, today we're going to talk about the fact that, that God, we, we need to connect with God. We, God wants us to connect with Him, and He wants, to, wants us to connect with Him, and He wants to open up a door for us. I'm not talking about a taste of God, okay? I mean... Back in the day, and I'm going to say back in the day because it was probably two years ago, when you could walk into Costco, you would get those little samples. I had a friend of mine that told me he would actually take his grandkids to Costco for lunch because it was a free meal. He could wander around the store doing his shopping, and his, his grandkids would get free meals, and they'd do the loop two or three times, right? And they'd get a free meal out of it. I'm not talking about just tasting a sample like the, what they give at Costco. I'm talking about the real meal because Costco gives you the sample in order that the anticipation that you will buy the full, the full deal, right? The whole bag, the whole box of whatever they're offering. God wants us to be immersed, not just with a taste of him, but with all of him in all parts of our life, from the very tips of our head all the way down to our feet. Completely immersed with who God is. But sometimes we as human beings, we're going, eh, I don't know. I don't know, I don't, I, I, you know, I kind of see God, taste him a little bit. I don't know. Like, I don't know, is, is it really that, is he really that good? 
I read a book some 20 years ago by Ray Edmond called They Found the Secret. It challenged me to pursue God in a way I'd never done so before. And I'll, I'll talk a bit about the book a little bit later. But I just wanted to say that this, that that book challenged me into seeking God in a way that I'd never, ever wanted to seek Him before. And a lot of it has to do with kind of what's tied into John chapter 15. And that's what we're going to look at today, John chapter 15, as we talk about how, God, how we are connected to God and our relationship with Him. Now, I'm going to assume that uh, as, as people, the first point of connection with God is, is simply this, and I, I, this is kind of an addendum onto my, my message, but I, I need to maybe make this clear. The connection with God is, is through Jesus Christ. He's the one who gave His life for us. We, we've sung about some of those things that he's given his life for us. He sacrificed himself for us. He died on the cross for us. I'm not talking about that first taste of Jesus, of about engaging in a, in a relationship with him and saying, okay, God, I've given you my life. I've exchanged my life for yours. I'm now taking your life into my life. Um, and so I, you've forgiven my sins. I've asked you to forgive my sins. I've asked you to change me. I, I'm assuming that that has already taken place. The question now is, how do we go about, what's the next step for us? What's the next step? And that's where John 15 comes into the play. He, John wants, to rec wants us to recognize that it's not just about engaging in that first taste of Jesus and making that initial connection. This is about a living, exchanging relationship. John calls it, or Jesus calls it in the book of John, in John 15, about remaining. So John 15, verse 1 says, I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You see, the first thing we see here is, is God cuts off that stuff which isn't good. It doesn't mean he, 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 he cuts, off, cuts us off, Though, what he really does is he cuts off the things in our lives that doesn't bear fruit. That's what God wants to do. And I'm not much of a gardener, but every now and then there's times we've tried growing tomatoes, and I've been told that you've got to kind of prune tomatoes, sometimes pretty viciously. And I've heard that when it comes to grapevines, you really got to prune grapevines really hard in order for them to produce fruit. Otherwise, they produce lots of vine but no fruit. And that's what he's talking about here. It's okay to have all these vines hanging out all over the place, all these things that are going here, there, and everywhere, but are they producing anything, anything of value? And Jesus says, no, you've got to cut some of those things off. They may be okay. They're good. They're, they're life-giving. There's things that are good, but you have to cut them off if they're not producing fruit in your life. He prunes. Doesn't mean he removes the whole thing, only the stuff that doesn't bear fruit. The second thing we see here in John 15 is he's, Jesus says there's no reason not to have life. John 15, verse 3, he says, You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. In other words, we know that you have a relationship with me. You're already connected to me. You, 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 there's no reason why you aren't connected to me because of what I have done for you. Life comes as a result of, of death, of Jesus' death. Not our death, but His death. And our connection with Jesus and our identification with Him, our, our, our desire to walk in with Him, continues to give us everything we need to produce fruit. 
Peter says in, in the first opening lines of his, of his second book that Peter writes, he says this, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. We've been given everything we need. All of life is there. It's there. It's, it's because we're, we're connected to the vine, the branch has life flowing from the branch to the vine. The issue is not to connect. The issue is whether we will allow that life to be drawn into our own lives. And whether we will remain connected. You see, we can choose to be connected or we can disconnect ourselves in a sense from God. And not that God ever gives up on us, but we can kind of we kind of disconnect because John says in or Jesus says in John 15 4 he says remain in me and I also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me and that's a whole aspect of 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 knowing the source of our life of where it comes from of, of knowing that our, everything we draw, everything we have, our living, our existence, our, our relationships, the way we do life, flows out of that vine. Uh, Luke says in, in, the right, in, his, in his book on, to Hebrews, in chapter 10, he reminds them that this whole aspect of remaining, about persevering. He says this, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great high priest over the house of God since all this has already been done for us it's all there it's all been given all the work's been done he said let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our body washed with pure water and he says this let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess we got to stay connected we have to stay connected it's so important. And, and it's up to us to choose. It's up to us to choose that connection. I talked with a guy this week. Um, I had breakfast with him, and he said to me, he said, you know, I think a lot of people were, were used to coming to church and being spoon-fed. And then when COVID hit, all of a sudden, you, weren't, you didn't have to come to church anymore. You could watch online. But somehow the spoon didn't quite make it into the mouth and the spoon didn't taste as good as it did when you were in person. And they're going, you know, and I'm not sure I really want to go back and I'm, I'm not really sure I like that sample that I was sampling. And I don't know what to do about it. And time has allowed people to disconnect from God. COVID has been one of those things of, of people going, well, you know, I'm not really sure... My relationship with God. And they had all these questions about God and their relationship and their connection. And so people have kind of slid. They've, they've gotten new habits and new lifestyles and new interests. And, and God's been kind of pushed on the back burner. But he said, we have to make the choice. And he says, I decided in January 1st of 2022 that I was going to make God more of a priority in my life. 
And I didn't think this guy had ever really kind of drifted from what I knew of him. But he said, no, I, he, he wanted to make this new relationship with God in a new way. He says, I got to find time for God. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Look around you. Creation declares my glory. He says, but it really comes down to you being still and knowing who I am. Getting alone with me. Getting alone with me. It's a journey. It's a relationship. It's not a, not a goal, not something you can check off your list going, oh, I've done my quiet time today, or I've, I've read my two chapters, or I've read two verses, or whatever it is that you feel that you have to do. This isn't about having to do anything. This is about wanting to connect with the living God and going, God, I need you. I need you. Don't expect to spend six hours in your first quiet time with God. You probably don't have six hours to give, but some people try and going, well, you know, I've got to spend at least two hours with God because that's the thing to do. No. Start small. Start with five minutes. Start with 15 minutes. Find a Bible reading program. Read some. Write and listen. Be still and know and listen to what God might be saying to you. Write it down on paper. Then add prayer as the next start. Next, next part of it. Record the answers to what God has been doing. I shared uh, in the prayer meeting last Saturday, Sunday afternoon about a challenge that God had put on my heart to ask God for an answer to prayer every day in the year of 2022. And um, so today is January the 24th. And so far, God is batting over 100%. I say over 100% because I've gotten, I think yesterday I had like four answers to prayer. Some of them are small. They're not big answers to prayer, but they're small answers to prayer. And, I, and, and things that I were on my heart, some of them I didn't even necessarily write down, but they were just longings that I had inside. God answered them. And so I've been trying to write them down. I've got a, I've got a, a, a journal where I'm going January 1st, January 2nd, and I write down the answers. So at any point in the next year, if you want to ask me where, how is God doing on answering prayer every day for you, ask me. And I, 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 I want you to ask me because it, it, it'll keep me persevering. It, it challenged me to look for the small ways in which God is answering, not just the big answers, the small ways in which God is answering. And I'll actually share one of the answers later in, in, at, at the end of the, my message today because it was something that God kind of popped up into my never even thought about and God answered but anyways but it calls us to persevere to connect with God to be consistent to be consistent and guess what when I see God answering those kinds of prayers that encourages me to be more consistent in my time with him not just asking things of him but pressing in and being dependent upon him in a new way and it takes time it takes time it, it, it's, you have to cut some things off. Stuff off that doesn't produce fruit. Cut those things off. And allow the Spirit to speak to you. Jesus did that. He got up early in the morning. He spent all night in prayer. He spent time with His Father. And He was God, but He was also human. And He needed that connection with God, with His Heavenly Father, in order for Him to carry everything out. John chapter 15 
is this, is this chapter about remaining and about abiding in Jesus. But it's sandwiched by two other chapters that talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who is the, is the connection point between us and Jesus. He loves to glorify Jesus. He's the one that seeks to empower us, even as he empowered Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, he says, continually be filled with the Spirit, because we need that Spirit working in and through our lives. Deeply, we need his Spirit working in and through our lives. And we need to seek him out, to ask him, to surrender to his leading, to, to let go of control and ask him to show us how to live. I talked about that book, They Found the Secret, that I read some 15, 20 years ago. It's, it's a great book. It's a story. Uh, it's actually a book of 20 stories. Um, it's the stories of Hudson Taylor, John Bunyan, Amy Carmichael, Oswald Chambers, Francis Havergal, D.L. Moody, Andrew Murray, Eugenia Price, Ian Thomas, and a, and a number of others. Some of those names you might know. Some of them you may not know. Some of them are contemporaries. Um, not sure any of them are still living. Ian Thomas might be still living. He created Torchbearers Society, which started Cape Henry Schools, which some of you may be familiar with. Kind of a one-year, two-year Bible school program with campuses all over the world. That was his thing. But all of them, all of their stories, all of these stories in this book talk about how they were struggling in their walk with Jesus until they found that's right, the secret. It wasn't that they found Jesus, though they did, because they already knew Jesus. But they found that there was something deeper, something more about what Jesus wanted to do in their lives that they themselves had not ever found or discovered before. There was this, some, and, and, they, and each of them described it differently. If you read the book, you think you're like, there's no connection between any of the things, except that the fact that there was a new life that was imputed into them in a new way that their life now just was so dramatically different, almost more dramatically different than it was before. Even when they came to Christ. I think of a time in my life when God radically changed my life in a significant way, about six years ago. I mean, I've been a Christian almost all of my life. But what God did in that point in time on my life was created and connected me with himself in a way that has changed my, uh, my trajectory of my life forever. It was a new connection with Jesus, a deeper connection with Jesus. And that's what God wants with us. That's what he wants with us is this deep, deep connection with him that just goes beyond anything we ever could have imagined. During the cold snap here, a couple of weeks ago, well, actually, whenever it started back in December, a <laughs> um, long time ago, um, I noticed that my car that I was driving wasn't putting out the heat. And I, you know, switched the dials and do different things, and, and the fan was working, and I could hear the fan blowing, and I could turn it down to one and up to four and all those kinds of things. And, and so I'm going, oh, what's the problem? And of course, it's cold, and my garage is not heated, so I'm thinking, oh, I don't really want to work on it right now. So I do the next best thing is you Google it and going, okay, so what's the problem? And so, you know, get all these answers and, you know, and they said, well, you know, whenever I flip the, the, uh, the adjuster, whether, you know, defrost or, or, or down your feet or up on the, on the vents coming out, you know, it didn't seem to really click between each of those and, 
And so, you know, when I put it on defrost, straight defrost, there looked like a little bit more air coming out, but it didn't look like it was really connecting, and I'm going, oh, man. So in my Google search, I found out that, they, that the suggestion for the fix was to change the actuator in behind, you know, in behind the glove box. There's a little actuator that kind of, you know, flips the vent control to directs the air to whichever direction you want it to go. I thought, okay, so when it gets warmed up, I'm going to fix it. So yesterday afternoon, lunchtime, I thought, oh, it's good. It's warm. The garage is decent. So I went into the garage. I'm going, okay. So I Googled how to open the, get the glove box open. So I figured out how to get that open. And, then, and I opened the glove box. And the moment I opened the glove box, I thought, oh, there's a filter. And I, I, for, I knew this, but I'd forgotten about it. There's a, there's a cabin filter in there. And I don't know how many of you know that, that. Most new vehicles have a cabin filter. Not just not an air filter for your engine, but a filter for your inside of your car. And I'm going, I've, I've pulled that out and cleaned it once or twice and gotten a new one, but I, it, it's been a, quite a while. So I opened it up, really two little clips, just opened it up, and I went to pull it out, and I went, oh, oh. It was so clogged. It was just unbelievable. There were like dead bees and... And, and dead bugs and fuzz and lint and I mean in our, our, our house in Linden we had these huge massive poplar trees and they, had, they were the cottonwood poplars and so they had, we had fuzz all over the place like I mean fuzz like all over the place and it was actually kind of fun because it's actually very very flammable so you, I had fun kind of lighting and just whoosh but anyways, I'd gotten some of them in there, you know, and it was totally clogged. And I'm going, hmm, I wonder if that's why I wasn't getting any airflow. And so I thought, well, that's the cheapest fix. Now, I didn't have an air filter right then and there, but I thought, well, I can do the next best thing. So I took it outside, and we have a mesh, mesh fence behind us and kind of banged it against the fence, then got all the bugs out of it. And I thought, well, I got a vacuum in the garage, so let's vacuum. So I vacuumed the, 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 you know, opened the pleats and vacuumed it all out. And then I'm going, well, let's see if this really works. So I pushed it back in, closed it all up, put the glove box back on, turned on the fan, and wow, I'm going, whew, there's significantly more airflow now. Why didn't I think of that sooner? Simple little fix simple little fix but I was looking for the big problem I was looking for the complex problem I was looking well I mean fitting, fixing the actuator isn't maybe necessarily so complex but it's way deeper than what I was thinking was the problem and I, I, all of it, if I would have just thought about it it would have made sense the air the cabin filter was plugged so I also went into our other car which is a newer vehicle and thought I'm gonna clean that one out and sure enough it was clogged not nearly nearly as, as bad but I'm going, this is good, so I'm, my next project is to order some air filters for those so, to allow our airflow, because we want heat into our vehicles in the wintertime. We want air conditioning in in the summertime. But a lot of times, our lives are a little bit like that, in the sense that, you know, we don't, our relationship with God, I mean, I didn't notice that the, that the airflow wasn't coming. It was a slow clog, right? It took, took years of buildup. And then all of a sudden, on the coldest days, minus 25 and minus 30 degrees, all of a sudden I'm going, I'm not getting any heat. There's no connection between me and this car. And I want that connection. And our relationship with God is often that way. We, things clog up our, our connection, our relationship between God. We don't notice it. 
We don't notice it until that day when all of a sudden things get really cold. We get in a desperate situation. And we're going, God, are you there? I need you. I really, really need you. And God, God just says, yeah, I'm here. But we can't hear him. We can't feel him. We can't sense him. Because there's stuff that has clogged our relationship between us and him. There's things that have blocked us. They might even be good things. Things like, you know, family time and, 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 and time, you know, work and, and education and another course and, and you know, jobs and, you know, maybe even fun things to do, activities and Sabbath rests and all those kinds of things. They may kind of clog it because, you see, all of those things all have to be in balance. But God has to be a part of it as well, and God has to be leading that balance. And if we don't, then those things can kind of create a barrier between us and God, and we don't necessarily hear God. And when we can look for all of the kinds of situations, we're going, you know, well, man, you know, I, I think it's the church. The church is messed up. Or, you know, that person, well, I was in a part of a small group, and they just didn't, you know, so I'm just throwing small groups out totally. Or, or you know, this kind of a relationship, or that kind of a relationship, or... You know, we find all these other things that keep us from really sitting down and going, okay, God, be honest with me. What's the problem in my life? Why am I not hearing you? Why am I not listening? Why are you so silent? Is it me? We want to blame everybody else. But maybe the issue is here. And maybe it's a simple one. Get rid of the, the junk in our lives. Clean the filter. Clean the filter. Because then we, can, then we can reconnect with Him. We can reconnect with Him. One last note, and this is just going to be a touch on it because I'm, in the coming sermons I'm going to touch on this a little bit more. Sometimes unclogging the filter needs the help of someone else. Just as my car needed me to go in there and pull it out, dump all the, the dead stuff out of there, vacuum out all the dust and the, the fuzz and everything that had accumulated over the years. Sometimes we need other people to come alongside of us who love us and care for us and are there for us. By default, we will try and do it ourselves. That's our default. That's our default. But God says, no, you need others to come alongside. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, which is following that time about persevering, he writes this, and let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. How can you encourage someone else? How can someone else encourage you? It's, it's reciprocal. It's not a one-way conversation. This should be reciprocating back and forth. And then he goes on to say, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. The pandemic has brought us a, about this thing that, well, you know, we don't have to get together. We can watch online. We can, you know, do all that kind of stuff. But there's been no getting together outside of that. And, and the restrictions have required that we don't get together. But there's other ways of doing that. Sitting in a backyard around over a, a table fire pit, even in, this, in the middle of winter, you can do that these days, even for a short period of time. Going skating or walking together outside or, you know, Zoom, Zoom calls or other kinds of 
modern technology FaceTime calls or whatever you want. God says you can do that. There's ways of connecting to encourage. And he says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Things, our world is not going to get any better. It's not going to get any easier to walk as a Christian. I'll guarantee it. The glory days of the church being the center of the world and everybody loving the church are over. We as Christians are going to face more persecution, more trials than we've ever, ever imagined before. And guess what? We're going to need one another. We're going to need one another. And we're definitely going to need God. So we need that help to encourage one another. Don't let pride stop you from connecting. Be honest with others and find others who will be honest with you. And we'll talk more about that in the coming, in the coming weeks. We need God. We need, we desperately need God. We sung about that in, our, in the songs that we, we sung prior to, and, and Elise is going to lead us in another one, uh, one that we've already sung. But we need God in our lives in a powerful way in these days. Because life is better together. Life is better together with God. And life is better together with people. And life is best with God and people. Best with God and people. Let's pray together. Lord, these days we... It's so easy to let the pressures of our world give us... uh, pressure us into not spending time with you when we started this pandemic i know many people said oh god i this is great we get more time because we're locked in our houses we get more time with you and yet god i'm not sure that's transpired over the last two years to be true as true as we would have liked it to be maybe for some it has and god we just celebrate that there's some that are probably just going yeah that was great and i've got started new habits and new traditions and new rhythms in my life But God, for many, I think that's not necessarily been the case. And so God, in this day, today, we ask that you would come and be present. We need a touch from you. We need you to work in our lives. We need you to move in us. We need your spirit to fall on us and to change our hearts and make it malleable, more open towards you. Because God, our default is just to take a deep breath and and going, oh, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow maybe next week. But God, we come and we invite you to speak to us. Lead us and guide us, God, we pray. Move in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen.